G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey, and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey, and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day, Dad. How are you going today? Good, thanks, Rowan. Good to be with you. Good to be with you as well for today's episode, which is a slightly different episode to ones that we've done in the past because it's one that is inspired a little bit by some listeners who've got in touch. So, We hope today's topic is helpful to those who have got in touch. And look, we really do appreciate everyone who does get in touch with us here. We really hope that all the information out there is helpful. But if there is anyone who is struggling with something specific, we always do appreciate to hear from you and hear from you out there and whether there is anything that you'd like us to speak about. So thank you to those few people and to everyone else, please feel free to reach out at any time. But Dad, today's episode, I suppose it follows on a little bit from what we were talking about last week in terms of how to go about seeking a mental health professional. Today, we're going to be speaking a little bit about how to encourage someone else to seek support. So, Dad, do you want to just give us a little bit of a rundown on what are some of the main themes that we're going to be talking about today? Yes, Rowan. Well, just as you described last week, it was about people finding help for themselves, but this is about when people see someone else who seems to be struggling, someone else who seems to be stressed or distressed or not the usual self, it can be hard to figure out how do you go about that situation and make it more likely that the other person will seek help because generally we know it's good for your mental health to be able to engage in help-seeking, if you like. All of us can struggle in different ways. So if we can recognise times when we can do with help and reach out and seek that help it'll make a difference so there are a few main positive things that can follow from encouraging someone else to seek help one is that they might be more likely to do that and get the help that they need but also it's a show of social support in itself it can be a show of genuine interest and care in someone else and also it gets across the point it takes the shame out of it there's nothing shameful about people putting up their hand and saying, hey, look, I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed at the moment. I'm struggling. I'm not sure the best way to go about this. So we've called today's episode Supporting Someone to Seek Help. And Dad, as we spoke about a little bit last week, I think there's been a bit of a shift in thinking about mental health and about seeking support. As you mentioned there, it's certainly not a shameful thing to seek support from someone, but I think we have to be respectful that not everyone will necessarily be there yet in terms of be ready to seek that support. So recognising that people may not necessarily be there, today we want to explore some ways that we can best encourage help-seeking behaviour. Yes, and part of the background for this is it's just natural at times for life to be difficult to the point where people might be overwhelmed or, as a psychologist friend of mine puts it, as he describes, we all have problems with living and we all need support at times. And I think that hits the nail on the head, really. And when we think of what's happened in this year of COVID, all the adjustments people have had to make, some more than others, people will have lost jobs, people will have dealt with losses of various types. So that's an example of how you can go through untoward circumstances. Many people lost their homes in bushfires early on in the year. They're just circumstances that sometimes shared with other people and sometimes very private can be overwhelming and so to be able to acknowledge that especially if we can acknowledge that without shame and look to seek help that'll make a difference to us that can make the difference between getting through kind of okay in the long run coming through something or feeling overwhelmed and behind the eight ball for a long time. And it's something that we've spoken a little bit about before on the podcast in terms of just how more complicated the world is getting in some ways. So in many ways, there's the notion of if you're looking to seek support from someone else, it's a little bit like looking to share the load in some ways. And it's also in a way saying to someone that you respect their opinion if you go to them to seek support. So there's many, many benefits to seek support beyond even just someone not necessarily being stuck with it themselves. Absolutely. I think one of the most important things in life is feeling connected with other people, like social connections. And we'll feel this with our family, we'll feel this with friends in certain situations, but people also at times can get quite isolated 
And it's so concerning at times to hear of people, for example, have been so distressed or depressed they might have even made an attempt on their life without any other people knowing about it. So you sometimes hear of this, it might be a school principal, it might be someone who's really functioning very well, it might be a farmer who's managing with all sorts of challenges and demands and yet it's not known the struggles that they might be going through at the time. Or people in what might be very difficult family situations and looking to just struggle on. So there are ways that we can seek that connection with other people to draw on support and often there'll be people only too happy to offer support in our wider social network in different ways, but also mental health professionals. So today, Dad, I'm going to be interested to talk to you about some of the principles to do with this, which will hopefully be relevant for those seeking support and also those helping to give support to someone else. So we're also not necessarily that people just seek support from a mental health professional, are we? It is also the sort of thing, for example, where even just providing an ear to someone for the first time or saying to someone, look, I'm just going to be here and and be able to listen to you, that can be a support in itself and sometimes that's enough for people. Very much so. And again, it comes back to that aspect when people are struggling with any problem, depression, addiction, trauma reactions, we know that people recover better down the track according to the level and quality of social support that they have. And often that will be coming from friends and family members. And also people can find it very helpful to have a listening ear, just someone who will listen or hear out about the kind of struggles that they're having and just helping them feel, if you like, well, human in having those struggles. It's understandable with the circumstances that they're in. There are also some times where people would benefit from some specific kind of health intervention for which we've mentioned before a GP is often a first point of contact for discussing any particular health issue and there will be times when some kind of more specialised mental health intervention will be relevant as well but one of the main things is encouraging the help-seeking behaviour itself and helping the person acknowledge if they are struggling and feeling overwhelmed and, as we say, taking the shame out of it. And it's the sort of thing as well where you've kind of got all to gain and nothing to lose in many ways. It may be a difficult conversation, but it is the sort of thing that, look, it's, it's a very tough thing to have to regret not having a conversation with someone in, in that situation. So, Dad... Where do we start with all this? If we have a loved one, maybe a family member, maybe a friend that we care about, and we get a sense that they're struggling in a way, how do we first approach it? Okay, and I will mention, I briefly referred to a psychologist friend. It's actually David Cherry. David Cherry is a very experienced clinical psychologist, and I find he has some wonderful practical ideas often in how to deal with complex situations. So I asked David's thoughts on this topic at first, and he described a number of principles, many of which we'll be referring to today. But one of the main things is, first of all, looking at what is your motive. And one of the key things there is, is it around an issue of safety? If there's a reason for looking for someone to seek some kind of help or intervention for safety reasons, well, that's a different kind of situation and safety has to come first. For example, if it's a situation that involves domestic violence, that's a safety issue and the safety needs need to be addressed first. And there are places that people can go to receive help themselves in relation to another family member being violent. For example... Orange Door or the Sexual Assault and Family Violence Centre, in certain situations it's more important that the person get some kind of assistance themselves to see that an unsafe situation might be addressed. It could also be if people are concerned that a family member is psychotic and potentially dangerously so. Then there might need to be some intervention which could involve a community mental health team, for example. And so there are a number of situations that might even involve police having to be involved. So acknowledging first, if it's a situation involving safety, that involves different kind of principles and the safety needs need to be addressed. But in many situations, it's not so much about danger, but it's more that seeing someone's really struggling in a certain way or that the person seems either overwhelmed or stressed or their behaviour is impacting on other family members in a quite unhelpful way. 
And so it could make a real difference for that person and others around them for them to address the behaviour. But a lot of what we're going to focus on today is what helps the person themselves to seek help. What in their own motivation might make it more likely that they actively follow through with seeking help because it makes the world of difference if the person wants to seek help themselves. And I imagine as well it's the sort of thing where people quite often who are in a situation where they may need some help don't necessarily feel like having someone else's will imposed on them, if that makes sense. So quite often they aren't necessarily receptive to someone coming and saying, look, let's go see a psychologist, let's put the wheels in motion in this way. That can be something that's quite confronting for people as well. So I think it's also important not to necessarily go in all guns blazing at certain times as well. Very much so. And, and bringing up that you think that someone else seems that they're struggling is something that we could call a difficult conversation. That would often be a difficult conversation. And as I mentioned earlier, my friend David, the way that he describes things in difficult conversations, I think he has a really good suggestion generally, which is to clarify what your positive purpose is. What is your positive purpose in having such a conversation, in bringing up such a conversation? Is it perhaps to show general concern or care? Is it to be an expression of offering social support? Is it to encourage help-seeking behaviour? Is it to offer the person your time? Maybe like to talk to someone who can be a sounding board for a period of time. It's having some kind of positive purpose in bringing something up. And one of those purposes also can be looking to help the other person feel a little bit more comfortable bringing up a challenge that they're facing in some way, inviting them to be able to say if something is difficult, if they're ready to talk about it. So if you can think early on about something that you're looking to offer in the conversation which is positive, and the way that I'll put it is if you do that with a good heart, you know that your motive is to show genuine concern and care and do something of benefit to the other person. If you're confident of that, then it can make a difficult conversation that little bit easier. And I imagine as well, it's important to be open to what the other person's going to say. If you approach those conversations in terms of, this is the outcome that I want achieved, well, as I said before, if you're in that situation, you don't necessarily want to just go along with what someone else wants for you. You don't necessarily even believe that they can see the best for you at certain times. So I think it is important, to, as you're saying there, to approach it from a place of compassion. And it's something that we've spoken a little bit about on the podcast before, the idea of self-compassion, being those three elements of recognising that you're struggling, recognising that there's common humanity in that, it's okay to struggle, and then looking at what are the things can I do to improve. Well, does that relate to, I suppose, compassion in many ways? If we approach someone with those three elements in mind, does that help, I suppose, frame the conversation here too? I think it does. It's compassion for someone else to acknowledge, as David described, we all have problems in living. That's like saying, hey, look, I'm struggling here. We all need support at times. In other words, it's common humanity that at times we could be struggling to the point of being able to do with some kind of assistance and then encouraging some step to be taken. When it's self-compassion, we do something to improve our own situation in some way, which could be seeking some kind of social support ourselves or some other kind of help. But when we're encouraging someone else to seek help, generally it'll be if we've observed that person maybe seeming stuck with something. It's maybe seemed difficult, it's staying that way for a period of time. You get a sense of the person being stressed in certain kind of ways. And what we're looking to do is to help the person find a way of easing their burden if that's the case. We might have misconstrued it. They mightn't be struggling as much as they think. Yet there'll be a number of situations where we can correctly sense that someone's struggling. And as you say, that compassion for someone else, we're really looking to open up further opportunities for them to be more relieved of a burden or a stuckness. And that's where, as well, I imagine the language that we use is really important particularly when we're talking about things to do with psychology and mental health, there can be a lot of confronting terms, even stuff like depression, anxiety, disorder, things like this. 
particularly if someone's never had therapy before, if someone's never engaged in even mental health terminology, it can be very confronting to deal with, for example, a depression diagnosis or, for example, someone coming up and saying, look, I think you're depressed. So what are your thoughts there on terms of what are some of the best ways to frame it in terms of language? Okay, well, one thing you notice as a psychologist is when people are struggling, they've often got like an exaggerated sense of how bad their mind is, so to speak. Like people might have this feeling of, oh, am I going crazy? Am I losing my mind? And often as a mental health professional, you see people having more exaggerated fears about the state of their mind or what it means if people are struggling in some way. So that's a reason why it can help to avoid overly clinical language for example if someone brings up that someone else seems anxious or I wonder if you've been depressed that can be a bit confronting because many people can take that as oh are you saying there's something terribly wrong with my head so to speak if we can use more natural language along the lines of I wonder if you've been struggling a bit lately because you've seemed a bit more stressed than usual or look I wonder if it's okay if I bring something up But it just seemed to me that you've maybe been struggling a bit more than usual lately. I wonder if that's true. Or it might be some other term along the lines of, you know, seeming stressed or wonder if you've been struggling. Those kinds of words are often something that people find much more acceptable to acknowledge. Well, I think if you're in a situation where you're not necessarily feeling great, it can be so hard to start that conversation yourself And it seems to me a little bit from what you're saying there that part of giving support and part of helping someone in this situation is just providing a situation where they can open up because potentially someone doesn't necessarily have those systems in place. So for you to be able to say to them, look, let's even just have a chat or, you know, these are some things that I've been struggling with. You know, I'm wondering if you're feeling anything the same. That can potentially break ground for someone in a way that they wouldn't necessarily have felt capable of doing themselves but once it's been done then they feel that they've got license to speak. Yes and and as we're talking about this it reminds me too of course it depends on your relationship. Some of the things that I mentioned earlier on involve bringing things up more directly like uh, observing that someone seems to be struggling that would tend to be in a closer relationship such as a family relationship or a close friend or whatever and even in that situation you can have a more gentle introduction it could be inviting someone to join you for a cup of tea then just starting a conversation about anything but looking for an opportunity for it to lead in to maybe making a comment or an observation of maybe noticing that someone hasn't seemed to be sleeping so well lately and asking look are you okay I suppose that's why we have are you okay day it's just having a variation of asking the question are you okay but it might start off with inviting someone to join you for a walk or even having a conversation about anything else at all. But if you've got an idea of looking for an opportunity to lead into having what might be a more difficult conversation, but knowing you do have that positive purpose of creating a space for the other person to acknowledge if they are struggling and offering them a listening ear and some of that support it at least makes the bar a bit lower, if you like, for the person to then seek help if they are truly struggling and have reached a point that goes beyond what they're able to well manage themselves. So, Dad, you mentioned some things there in terms of what we could potentially look out for for someone who's maybe struggling, in terms of whether they've been struggling with sleep or whether they seem to be stuck in a certain situation. But... I wonder what are some ways of gauging how receptive someone would be to the conversation in the first place? Because it's one thing to recognise that someone's struggling, but how do we know if, for example, they'd be ready for us to approach them with some support? Okay, now this gets back to people's readiness to change and you largely gauge that by some kind of conversation with the person. Maybe you're looking to invite the person to join you in such a conversation. That's a way of gauging where they're at. But we would have mentioned in a couple of previous podcasts, including addictions, for example. If someone has an addiction 
and we're looking at how ready they are to seek some help or make changes in their behaviour, we think of a readiness to change model. And that's got the stages we've described in the past about a pre-contemplation stage. That's when the person thinks that they don't necessarily have a problem. It's before they've acknowledged a problem. It might be outright denial. It might be dismissing something in a kind of, you know, using a bit of humour to dismiss it, but it's really playing it down. That's pre-contemplation. Or contemplation is that if the person's made a comment along the lines of, oh, they might have a bit of a difficulty in this area, or they might make a comment about their drinking or how they recognise they'd lost their temper a bit or some other kind of issue that they knew that they'd been feeling a bit flat or hadn't maybe engaged in social contact as much as usual. There can be little comments that people make that show a degree of acknowledgement of struggling in some way. It could even be the person showing irritability in different kind of ways and maybe a few self-critical comments as well. That would give a clue that it's maybe more a contemplation stage perhaps in acknowledging a difficulty. Then there's preparation, which is where someone's looking to take some steps to make change. And then there's action. That's when someone's doing something about it. They're actually following through with something. And often the action that people take, any action that they take to help themselves is going to be of benefit. Sometimes we might think someone's taking action, but maybe not a different type of action that might be more helpful again. For example, we think that they might have changed their diet, but not actually be following up with maybe a GP about a physical health problem. We might sometimes think that also about a mental health problem. If we see people doing some things that are looking to address a problem, but it doesn't doesn't seem to be tackling it as fully, there would be times when even when people are taking action, we might encourage them to maybe also add in something else. But generally, the situations we're talking about today are probably more to do with when a family member or a friend is more in that pre-contemplation stage or maybe just starting to acknowledge there might be a problem. And I remember as well when we spoke about this in that addictions episode, there was that notion that motivation equals importance plus confidence. So if someone's at that pre-contemplation stage, is it then about increasing their motivation in terms of increasing the level of importance in which they see a reason to change and then increasing their confidence as well? Yes, that's actually a very relevant point and particularly importance. If they're at a pre-contemplation stage, they're probably maybe thinking this isn't such an issue, no, it doesn't apply to me, no, I've got this covered anyway, kind of thing like a level of denial or downplaying. And so what we're looking to do is to raise more the issue of importance. And so that could be where we do give some feedback to someone about wondering how someone's travelling and they might wonder why we ask. And we might observe that they've seemed a bit more forgetful lately or a bit more irritable or haven't seen their usual self. If we're giving people feedback like that, then we're kind of suggesting to them that there might be something more significant than they're giving it credit for at the time. So we're looking to elevate the importance It could also be if a person's behaviour is having a lot of impact on family members. So we still might be concerned for the person, but if, for example, that individual's distress is coming out in a way, say through irritability or other people are worried about someone engaging in risk-taking behaviour, for example... Maybe it could be to do with alcohol and drugs or other kind of risk-taking behaviour. Then it could be a situation with genuine concern and care conveying to that family member that concerned about the impact that it might be having on their health, but also concerned about the impact it might be having on others in some way. So that might help the person realise that oh, they might have been under-recognising how their behaviour was also having an impact on others and they didn't want it to do that. So that might elevate it in its importance. Now, when we're talking about this, it's very important, as you've said, looking at the person's own motivation, thinking of what might motivate them. So if someone's a co-parent, for example, and they notice that their partner's acting in ways that are alienating the children or the children feel nervous around them and the children seem to be retreating to their bedrooms more, 
then if you think that your partner you know, wants to have a good relationship with the children and feel engaged with them, you might really be picking the time and it might not be the very first conversation that you have where you bring this up but you might be giving some feedback about that because the person's motivation might be to be a good parent or to be well-connected with their children or to yeah, have positive relationships within their family. Whereas with someone else, their motivation for addressing a problem might be to do with more their physical health or because it might help their energy or maybe we're encouraging someone to seek help because we see that there are signs of them having a low mood and being more withdrawn and having other signs of what we think might be say depression but we also know that the person's been struggling with their sleep and so we think that if they seek help that maybe helps them with their sleep it might make a difference so it's thinking of what might be benefit to that person what might be important to them That'll make more difference in them seeking help, even if they've been downplaying problems in the first place. And as you mentioned there in terms of putting it in their context, I imagine as well that's where it's so important to meet the person where they're at because there can be a number of reasons why someone is in the pre-contemplation stage. And for example, they might recognise that there are problems, but they might think, for example, they're other people's problems. As you say, they could be in denial. So they could be defensive about things, for example. So I think as we were talking about earlier, if we really do put ourselves in their shoes as much as possible, it can really help to contextualise the angle at which we come from. Yes, I think you're right. It's very important being attuned to the person because at times we might misjudge in some ways as well. I can think of someone, for example, who is really good at handling pain. This person is an absolute expert at managing pain. Yet I know that there have been times where people have encouraged this person to follow through with other pain management interventions, which quite frankly wouldn't be likely so helpful on top of what they're already doing and it kind of invalidates the person with the mastery that they're already showing with what they're dealing with. So in a way it's actually to minimise and devalue how the person is already going with a particular problem. So it does really help if we've got a kind of connection with someone and we're having an open communication and where the trust is there and the person knows that we have their interests at heart the way it's all coming across because then you can have more chance to realistically gauge where the person's at. And so do you have any practical tips then in terms of things that we could do or say to someone in that situation? Well, look, I think one of the main things is, again, if we think that the person might be downplaying things, allow for there to be maybe a number of conversations. Don't expect it just to be the first time. And if you bring up something once and maybe follow it up another time and yet there's still signs of it being a problem, if you can bring up some specific things that you've noticed and especially going to some of your more serious concerns first so you don't just downplay what you're bringing up either you might see that someone is really restricting their food intake to the point where in your own mind you might be thinking this person might have a severe eating disorder but the key thing is you're concerned for their nutrition and so again it might be bringing up the ways that you notice that the person seems tired or you know they don't seem so physically well they seem to have been getting more sick lately in different kind of ways or just observing things that we notice that can be if you like a little bit more objective so sometimes it'll be bringing up things in a number of ways it'll be partly highlighting specific things that we've noticed at times it might be inviting someone to pay attention to some kind of information that might be through a brochure or it could be a podcast on a particular topic that we think relates to a, a challenge that a person might be facing it's different ways of bringing up information in certain ways and I think also it can be fair enough if we're a close friend or a family member I think it can be fair enough to level with the person that if we're really concerned with them to a certain kind of point it would make a real difference maybe to us or as family members, it would make a real difference to us to know that you're doing the right thing by yourself as well and at least getting this checked out. I'd just say if we thought someone had an unusual 
skin discoloration or something like that and the person says oh look it's it's nothing it's probably just a kind of mole and we think yeah but wait a minute unless you check it out then it might be something more serious so i think there are some situations too where it's fair enough to convey some of the effect on on oneself as well look i'm concerned for you and i'm going to be anxious until you follow that through yourself i'd I'd really appreciate it if you got that checked out for example and to some extent, maybe a little bit more gently, it could be like that when we're looking at mental health issues. Like if someone's really struggling, they're not sleeping well, they've been more irritable, I think it can be welfare enough for a family member to describe some of the impact that's having on them whilst getting across that genuine concern for the other. And I imagine as well, it's the sort of thing that doesn't necessarily have to be a super direct conversation in terms of you don't necessarily have to sit someone down with a cuppa and sort of present everything to them all at once. As you mentioned there in terms like leaving a brochure around or mentioning a podcast, well, one of the things I like about podcasts is you can basically indirectly bring up any conversation that you want because you just sort of say, I heard a great podcast on this the other day. So it's a good way to, for example, just mention a topic and introduce it into conversation without necessarily personalising it to the person too much. Yes, and actually, hopefully... A number of the Psych Spiels podcasts could be helpful that way. So this is the same kind of information that we would pass on to clients and also through our clinical handouts and things like that. But one of the reasons why we've wanted to describe principles about dealing with addictions or depression or anxiety-related conditions is to get some reliable information out there about these different kinds of difficulties that people might face. So hopefully they're a reference point as well. And Dad, one of the things that we spoke about on last week's podcast was the notion of, with a psychologist, the benefits of having an active and collaborative relationship. Is it the sort of thing here as well that we can look to those two elements of being active and collaborative as a good guide, again, to find the angle of where to approach someone? Yes, and this is where it can be worthwhile being patient and really looking at the other person's motivation if you're encouraging someone to seek help it really is about their readiness to change that'll make a difference so if the person goes along and maybe sees a counsellor or therapist just because they feel they've been harangued into it they've been pressured or pushed into it often it's not going to go as well and we do see a number of people say in a private practice situation where it might be an adolescent who's been pressured to come along by a parent it's that much more difficult to address the situation. It might be a husband who's come along because his wife has been very concerned about an aspect of his behaviour or how he's communicating, but the person might not really want to be here himself. It makes it a lot more difficult. So it makes the world of difference if the person is more ready to take that step themselves. Another example is if someone rings up to make an appointment for someone else. Often that is not a good sign. It makes a big difference if the person is prepared to the point where they think, look, I am prepared to come along and see someone for at least a couple of sessions of assessment and feedback to see if I might have a difficulty in this area. That'll make the world of difference rather than if a family member has rung up for them. So do you have any suggestions then for if someone's in that pre-contemplation stage and they may not yet be ready to seek support because it can be the sort of thing where starting the process can take quite a lot of energy and someone may not necessarily feel up to that. So we don't necessarily want to begin the process early and lead someone to feel disenfranchised by seeking support at all. So do you have any tips for if someone may not necessarily be at that stage that they're ready to pursue it themselves, is it just a matter of waiting until they are? Well, there's not going to be any exact right and wrong in this situation. It's a challenging situation, say then, for a family member. Just say it's for a partner, a long-term partner, of someone who maybe doesn't communicate much in relationships. If the other person seems very avoidant of talking about conflict, of dealing with problems together, of acknowledging any kind of issue, then how does someone go about that? Well, one alternative is to look at your expectations. Sometimes we might look at whether we have a realistic expectation about our partner for change or if the person's not ready to make change or it might be very difficult for them to make change, then partly it's that issue of what do we do? Do we look to change a situation? Do we look to accept it? 
do we look to leave? And that's in, in the more challenging situations, just say with a very complicated relationship with a protracted problem, say to a partner, then the main coping alternatives in any particular situation are looking to change it, accept it or leave. Just say if there's a serious relationship problem, for example. So sometimes it'll be accepted thinking, well, there are many wonderful things about my partner and this is a particular area of difficulty they have. They're very shy. They don't want to engage in any social situation so much. They don't talk through conflict so much. I'm very frustrated by their level of avoidance, if you like. However, there's so many wonderful things about our relationship. I'm prepared to accept that and you go on. Or a person might think, look, I don't know that I want to stay in this situation if this doesn't change. And it might be serious enough for the person to bring up with their partner that, for example, these difficulties that are ongoing are such that if it continued in such a way, they've noticed that they've had thoughts of even leaving if that kept on that way. And they just wanted their partner to know that, of how important and how much difference it makes to them because that might then motivate the partner to factor that in and look at making some more significant change. That would also apply maybe to a very severe anger problem or severe alcohol problems which don't always just relate to safety it might just mean that the person might not be physically unsafe but they might feel either emotionally unsafe or emotionally disconnected because of the extent of their partner's long-term addictions or risk-taking behavior for example so there are situations where the person might convey to the other that if things didn't change then they might look to leave But there would also be situations where there might be some kind of middle way. And I do know of situations where a partner has really encouraged someone to seek help who didn't particularly want to seek it. It might have been because of an anger problem or it might have been because of avoidant tendencies. And it was only because of a partner pressuring the person or a risk of their relationship ending that that person did come in for therapy. And I would say that's been the case for most men that I've seen with anger problems. They've usually come along because a partner has strongly encouraged them to come in. Sometimes people with avoidant tendencies have come in partly for a similar reason or people who've got protracted conflict in a long-term relationship. They might not be so willing. Now, there are some situations where people might then come in, say, with an anger problem because someone else has urged them to, And they might come in two or three times, they've not been that motivated, but actually it's given enough of an opportunity in a therapy setting for then a therapist in conversation with the person to help them see past some of their ambivalence, so to speak, or their wariness of opening themselves up to further therapy and talking about their problems more fully and where the person has come to see that, yes, it's worth it to them to do something about anger reactions or maybe avoidant tendencies or social anxiety or something else. So there are some situations where a bit of pressure from a partner, which is often in terms of the person reaching the point that they feel their relationship might well end, the person might well not want to continue in the relationship unless something changes, that sometimes does prompt a person to come through who's ambivalent or less than fully willing and then good things can happen. But it generally doesn't help if someone nags or just pressures someone else, just keeps on bringing up a problem that isn't changing so much. That can just be so difficult. If the person doesn't see a reason for following through themselves, often that won't work so well. So if there's any other way of showing concern, again, focusing on the other person's motives, appealing to the other person in terms of how the quality of your relationship will be improved, letting the other person know what difference it would make to you, if they look to address some issue that, say, affects a family dynamic or affects a relationship, then hopefully that will be more of a prompt. So there are some situations where we might, dare I say, put a bit of pressure on, but you can still do it showing genuine concern for the other person. You can emphasise it's for the benefit of your relationship. It's not just you or it's not just them. It's your relationship over and above the two of you that will benefit. And especially if a partner says they'll be willing to take some steps as well that might make change easier, let's look at this together, what we can do, then sometimes that can be a difference as well.
Well, it seems to me from what you're saying there that essentially it comes back to that idea of looking for ways to non-judgmentally communicate where we're at with someone because it's absolutely fair enough to say to someone, for example, seeing you like this is, you know, affecting me in this way. I saw, you know, for example, mate, I hate to see you in this way sort of thing. And when people are in that situation, in that pre-contemplation stage, they can feel a little bit me against the world at times. And even just framing it like that in terms of, you know, I hate seeing you like this, it can almost just contextualise you being on their side in terms of you're invested in their mental health and it's not necessarily that they're just on this journey alone. Yes, and I think one of the things that you're reflecting there is the benefit of using I statements rather than you statements. Rather than saying, you're this, or you're that, or you should such and such, that comes across as judgmental. Like you're saying, looking to show that care and concern using I statements, such as, um, I'm concerned about, I've noticed that, I wonder whether, if a situation is more severe saying something about how you see that situation, like, I see it like this, or I'm concerned about the impact it could have on our children this way, or I've noticed sometimes that after this happens, then this seems to happen afterwards. If we're looking to use I statements and looking to be a bit specific, if you like, and maybe a little bit objective, but also conveying something about our own feelings and concerns rather than assuming that's necessarily right or the only way to look at it. So we're putting our viewpoint forward, which is also a viewpoint where we care about the other person. We might also feel frustrated. We might also feel irritated. That's fair enough if the person's acting in ways that also having a negative impact it would seem on others. But there's still ways of bringing it up in a way that shows concern and care. I like that point that you made earlier as well in terms of it not having to be over one conversation sort of thing. For example, you could just flag to someone, for example, that you'd be open to have that conversation and that could be, for example, kind of the first touch point and the first opportunity to just, for example, open the gates of communication without necessarily having a big full-on conversation about it. But, Dad, I wonder what your thoughts are in terms of timing, in terms of when's the best time to bring up something with someone because it can be hard at any time to bring up something. Is it the sort of thing, for example, that should come up incidentally or is it best to think of a way to have a specific conversation about it? Well, it's going to vary and I think that's where we use our intuition and the better we know the other person and the better our relationship or the more significant our relationship, that gives us more scope to be more direct, so to speak. So how direct we can be, it's partly to do with the other person's readiness, it's partly to do with our relationship with them, it's partly to do with the extent to which the person might be downplaying or minimising a problem. But I think in the first instance... Showing an interest and concern in the other person where we're leading into a conversation about how things are going for them. You know, some kind of variation of that are you okay kind of idea. You know, some kind of variation of observing the other person doesn't seem their usual self or wondering if the person's been struggling with a particular issue. Some variation along those lines is a way of opening up a kind of conversation and a topic. If the person doesn't seem responsive and the person is reacting quite negatively, then that might not be a time of pushing it much further unless we think it's so significant we really need to make it clear. So sometimes a problem is so significant to us or we're so concerned about it, then it's just going to be a difficult conversation. We focus on the fact that we have that positive purpose, so we'll be more bold. It might be to try and see that some ongoing problem that is affecting other people, you know it's affecting other people, can be addressed in some way. And so I think that, again, looking to do it with a good heart, to have a positive purpose then we might bring up something more direct earlier on or if we see some sign of readiness from the other person. The other person might get back and mention, oh, you brought up about such and such the other day or they might say, look, actually, I have been struggling with something or otherwise it might be a a look or a gesture or a sense that the other person's more open. The thing is, when the other person is more open, when they're more ready to have that conversation or ready to have a conversation, then it helps to be straight. 
it really helps to be straight with the person if you have that kind of relationship. To not play down your concerns, but again to convey it in a caring way. To notice specifically what you've observed. To notice there might be some changes in the person's behaviour or things that they've done or some consequences because someone else told you about the effect their behaviour had, their anger or something about their mood, how their mood often seemed, how that was affecting maybe teenage children or something like that, to give the other person that straight feedback or how their alcohol or drug use might seem to be affecting their health or their memory or something like that. Like we can bring up specifics at times and not play it down if there is that opportunity. But the thing then is if we do bring up a problem, it helps to bring it up in hopeful language. So we know that people are more likely to be resilient and make changes effectively if they're optimistic. And that basically means that even if there are significant problems that people seem to have, if we see them as being, well, amenable to change, they don't have to last forever. They might apply in some situations and not others. There's something the person can do about it. And that's one thing about optimism. We believe that there's something the person can do about it. So if we focus more on the problems we notice in the present, so we're present and future-oriented, or very recently things that have happened, not so much talking about things that have happened years earlier, more things that have happened recently where we see a pattern and looking to convey to the person how you think this can be different and wonder if it is worth them seeing someone who might help them with that particular problem, you know, what difference it might make to them if they have more energy or if they feel in a better mood or if they feel that they are getting on with others better, whatever their motivation might be. If we talk in optimistic, hopeful language, then that's the confident side of the motivation dimension that you were describing earlier. How important it is to change, how confident people are are to change. So if we can bring up things in a hopeful or optimistic way, that will be helpful. And so how much should we lament with someone and how much should we, for example, offer advice or offer practical advice in that way? Because if we have a present and future focused, well, potentially that leads us to be able to offer solutions, to be able to offer practical assistance in a way. But sometimes people can just be looking for someone to sit with them and someone to look to understand their problems and just listen to what they have to say. So do you have any tips for finding the balance that way between acknowledging the gravity of someone's situation and acknowledging how, for example, tough it must be for them or not wanting to dwell on that and wanting to offer some practical practical solutions so that they're not necessarily stuck in that place okay that's a really good question really key theme and even as a therapist if you think you have ideas and specific strategies that might help people move forward it's really important to be able to sit with people for a while with where they're at with a particular problem and it comes back to the idea of compassion compassion really is looking to help separate the person from their pain, help alleviate someone's pain. One thing that can help separate a person from their pain and get some ease with that pain is just sitting with them while they are struggling. That can make a profound difference for someone to feel seen and heard and acknowledged with the struggle that they're having And the other person not expecting them to be any different from what they are or who they are at that time can be profound. And that in itself is hopeful. And one of the things I find with, dare I say, more inexperienced therapists is resisting the urge to rush in and fix too quickly. People tend to learn that within one or two years. Don't rush in and fix too quickly because it's often not helpful to the other person if you're coming up with suggestions that might be wonderful therapy techniques or suggestions, but the person really hasn't even had the proper opportunity to really accept where they're at and the nature of the struggles that they're dealing with. So that's like a first step. And I think it really helps to have at least a bit of time of being with the person with where they're at and showing that we're prepared to acknowledge some of the struggles that they're going through, even if you like feel some of that with them. We don't have to feel the extent of their pain or whatever, but we can empathise, we can relate with where they're at. 
And then often, when people feel acknowledged and heard with that, then some of their hopes for things being different are more likely to come out. And that's when we can influence people with our ears. The best influence we'll ever have, the most powerful influence we'll have, is hearing from the other person themselves how they want something to be different. And when the person feels that their difficulties are acknowledged or someone does have a genuine interest in them or someone recognises their struggle or recognises they're stuck without there having to be any simple or glib answer to it, when the person feels understood or appreciated in that way, then they're more likely to move to some steps themselves. Because it comes back to that acceptance of pain, if you like. And we've talked before that when people seek help, generally there are two problems that they're struggling with. There's the initial problem that they have. It might be an addiction or depression or other stress-related difficulty. And then the other thing is that they're difficulty accepting that or they thought that it should be different. So when the person feels a bit more accepted in the situation with their difficulty and they accept it more and they accept themselves with it, solutions are more likely to come to the fore. The person is likely to be able to think in a more forward-looking manner. The person's more likely to be responsive to feedback and advice and different strategies. So I think that's a really worthwhile point that you raise, and I think at first, be with the person and open to hear from them about how they might experience their struggling or not. And then if there is some responsiveness, some receptiveness to that, the conversation is likely to lead on a bit and then you might be in a position to know a little bit about what kinds of help might be available that that person might have thought of. And it can help that way. If you're looking to encourage a person to seek help with a particular kind of problem, it can help if you're aware of some of the alternatives that they might have. But one of them, quite frankly, is seeing a GP and starting from there and the other things we talked about last week about avenues for seeking help. But the first thing is be with the person and then it maybe leads on when the person's more receptive to what might be done, what things might make a difference in in seeking help. And I think it's important to recognise there as well that most communication is non-verbal too. In terms of, I can't remember whether the number's sort of 70% of 90%, but most of our communication is non-verbal. So people will often tell you how they're going, even if they're trying to hide it themselves. For example, people might use cynical or catastrophizing language. And you sort of think, oh, that's a bit full on for you. What's, what's going on there? Or people might say to you something like, oh, well, you just think this. And it might give you a bit of an indication as to why they may be necessarily not be ready to accept help from you at that time. Or there can just be a lot more than, for example, what someone says explicitly to you. But it seems to me that what you're getting out there is just really being open to observe for a little while for that first time and then be ready to basically accept the other person wherever they're at, as we spoke about before. Yes, and I think it comes back to those general things that we're looking at that people will pick up also from our non-verbals if what we're on about is to give the person room to acknowledge if they are struggling, to show an acceptance of that, like that's part of common humanity. It's, it's, It's normal to have times in life where you're struggling or stuck with some particular problem. And when we have that interest in showing support, reducing shame, if you like, taking the shame out of it, but then maybe encouraging help-seeking behaviour, encouraging the person to seek help if they are stuck and if they could do with maybe something that you're not necessarily going to get that kind of um, guidance from a next-door neighbour or a kindly relative. That is when people might best either see a GP or follow up with some health professional in a certain way. But if we have those kind of motives, if you like, and... As I say, if you look to offer your interest with a good heart, the person will pick that up also, most likely, non-verbally. makes it easier for them to accept themselves with whatever difficulty they're facing, maybe being a little bit more open to do something active about it. And I imagine as well, it doesn't necessarily have to be the thing that's even at an individual level. For example, after my friend passed away at university, 
our group of friends became so open in terms of talking about mental health, in terms of providing each other with that space to be able to have these sorts of conversations. And it almost became part of a cultural thing that, for example, all the fellas would openly talk about mental health, whereas that wasn't necessarily something that happened a great deal beforehand. It might have come up indirectly, whereas we really recognised then the value in having those more explicit conversations and those explicit times to even just check in with each other and that sort of thing too. So it can be the sort of thing where if you're in a group of people, just by modelling certain behaviours can help to lay the foundations in a culture in certain ways. For example, just saying to people, look, I'm struggling with this at the moment and, you know, it'd be great to even just have a chat about it. I wouldn't mind lending your ear for a few minutes just to be able to have a chat to someone about it. Well, that also invites the other person then to basically do the same thing at another time. It sort of, again, it breaks down that line of communication and I think both people get something out of it. It's not really the kind of thing that you're doing a favour for someone by listening to them and lending them an ear. Well, you get something out of that at the same time. And it's one of those things that all it really does is enhance your relationship by having those conversations. So it doesn't necessarily have to be that you're, for example, looking for difficult, explicit conversations. Well, you can put some, for example, systems in place with a group of friends to ensure that these conversations happen a bit more naturally. Yes, interestingly what you're saying, that overlaps with principles of debriefing. Like for example, if there's some major dangerous accident that happened in a workplace and someone might have been severely hurt or at risk of being severely hurt, then what a debriefing process will involve is first of all acknowledging the situation and the facts of the situation, secondly acknowledging the kind of reactions that people have had to that challenging situation and you kind of normalize that because a number of people will acknowledge some similar things that have happened like lately their concentration's a bit worse they've been a bit more irritable maybe their sleep has been a little bit affected but some aren't affected in that same way they might have other kind of reactions instead so you get the notion of there are similarities and differences in how that we react but it's kind of like understandable that there'll be a bit of disruption. And then we look at, okay, what are some strategies that we use to help manage the situation, like helping improve the situation? And again, it'll be varied. For some people, it'll be exercise. For some, it'll be catching up with friends. For others, it'll be just having quiet times of contemplation. And Partly it'll be accepting that some of these reactions can be normal, especially for a period of time. It's more if they persist over a period of months or they're quite severe or disruptive in some ways that people might seek help. So actually sometimes what's the most important is people recognising what are understandable reactions to challenging situations and they don't necessarily have to follow up some kind of specific help for it just have some strategies to manage and and just notice how things are likely to settle over a period of something like, say, four or six weeks kind of thing. So what you're describing too is there's that kind of process of people giving permission to each other to acknowledge having been affected together by something that's happened. That'll be happening in all sorts of families earlier in the year in responding to the threat of bushfires or loss from bushfires and then with COVID through this year. Families in their own way and friends in their own way will be acknowledging some of the challenges that they've had and that they've shared and will react to in somewhat similar and somewhat different ways. And that's all part of, again, the human condition. There are challenges with living. At times we can do with some kind of help and support. Sometimes things will sort out a bit by themselves, but sometimes they won't. And if the person's stuck, sometimes it'll make a difference if a person who cares about them encourages them in a caring way to take further steps to get unstuck, even if that means seeking support elsewhere. There doesn't have to be any shame in that. And Dad, I suppose just a a slightly more specific one in terms of I can envisage a situation where we go to a friend or a loved one and we're looking to help them, we're looking to open up the lines of communication, give them support and it's the very real possibility that someone will say to us, look, yeah, I'm really struggling. And someone may even say, look, I've actually had some suicidal thoughts. I'm actually at a place where I'm really struggling. Well, 
that can be really overwhelming for us to deal with in some ways. It's not necessarily the easiest thing to be dealing with someone in that situation, particularly when it's someone that we really care about. So do you have any suggestions for if someone really is struggling to the point where you may even get a sense that, or I suppose there's a more immediate danger involved in the situation for something like a suicide? I think one of the first things is to show appreciation to the person. Show them, look, you really appreciate the way that they are able to say that to you. Now, you're really glad that they see you as such a friend that they could be honest with you like that. And, and you are concerned for them and you do really care for them and you really want to be a support to them. But in addition, you really hope that they'll do something extra for themselves because if they're dealing with that kind of struggle then you don't think that necessarily you or maybe another friend or even family members might be in the best position to offer them the fullest kind of help available. Have they considered or are they seeing a mental health professional? Have they considered seeing someone to help them with that? Because, hey, that sounds really serious enough that it justifies. Really looking to get the best help that they can or certainly further professional help with people who are experienced of helping others who have suicidal thoughts. Because, look, the truth is a lot more people have suicidal thoughts than we would generally recognise. I think it's something like a third of school-aged children, like older school-aged children, have had some thoughts that have questions about whether life is worth living or some feelings or thoughts that relate to helplessness. So it's not like it's completely unusual for people to have those reactions, but if people are struggling with that and that's leading them to feel distress and it might reflect some other difficulties that they're having additionally around sleep, appetite, mood, other kind of things, it really does make a difference if people do seek mental health services for that. Very often it will at least. And so if things weren't improving very quickly, the chances are that the person is going to make a more reliable and speedy recovery if they see someone. And that's, again, where it would really help if the person's linked in well with a GP or they already have contact with a mental health professional that they can follow up with in that way. And for a person to acknowledge that and admit to having suicidal thoughts, they're likely pretty ready to seek help themselves. And sometimes people will have sought help that maybe isn't making so much difference for them. And in that situation, we can certainly encourage the person to keep pursuing help. But if something isn't working out for them, maybe even asking the person if they would consider something additional. And so if the person is losing hope with the help that they've been receiving, again, it's that optimistic notion. There's always other kinds of help. Or or sometimes people might feel stuck for a while and it might be a little bit later on that they get the full-on benefit, but to encourage the ongoing help-seeking and not to get sucked in ourselves to thinking that there isn't an answer for that person. There's virtually always answers and ways forward when people are feeling suicidal, however bleak their situation is. It's only if the person's got an absolutely terminal illness, they're in complete pain the whole time, minimal relief for it. There aren't many situations that would justify someone giving up hope. And I think it's also important to recognise that there's not necessarily going to be a magical thing to say to help someone in that situation. Like if someone's going through great difficulty, quite often they can feel that it's a bit them against the world and they can feel like they don't necessarily have support in some ways. Like for example, you hear of people getting talked off a bridge by a stranger and just that interaction of just one person sort of showing the interest in them continuing to live and and finding happiness and and getting past the difficulties that they're going through, even if it's a stranger, often that can lead people to turn things around a little bit and start to reframe the world in a way that's not completely against them at times. So I think it is important to, yeah, look at things and not necessarily think that you have to have this magical phrase or magical couple of paragraphs which are going to help the person feel better. It could be something as simple as saying, look, mate, let's even just go for a kick of the footy on a Monday once a week and and that'll just give you, we'll have your 10 minutes to sort of talk about whatever you want and you don't have to take it up. But at the same time, that's something that's there for you and I'm just going to put it out there as your mate. You don't have to take it up sort of thing. But that just signals to them that you're on their side in many ways. And to me, that's just such a stark thing that people could be talked off a bridge by a stranger in that way. They're, They're so ready for support 
that essentially all they're looking is for someone to acknowledge where they're at. Yes, there's a fellow who used to live in a house near the Gap in Sydney where sadly a number of people took their life jumping off the, 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 the Gap. Well, he talked many people out of taking that step because he would see someone there near the edge, he'd approach them, he'd invite them to his house for a cup of tea. There's any number of people that that fellow, he helped prevent them from taking that step. He made that difference because he had a positive purpose. He went and he showed an interest. He showed care. And he wanted to let the person know there was someone who was ready to listen to them. There's someone who wanted to connect with them. And I think that's the key. If we're looking to bring up with someone else something that we see is a real difficulty they might have, if that's based with an interest in care and connection with them, that is likely to make a real difference. And just one final thing I'll say on that as well, it helps if we bring up a challenging situation, if we can feel, dare I say, a little bit more settled in ourselves it's partly managing our own discomfort in bringing up that conversation it can make a difference of thinking beforehand of what you might say even thinking of what you might say first and then maybe if there's an opportunity what you might follow that up with so we've had suggestions today on things that people can bring up as a way of opening up a discussion but if you think at first how might I approach this what kind of setting and look to be a bit comfortable in yourself because you know you have that good intention, then that might make it a little bit easier, even if it still might well be a difficult conversation, especially early on. Well, I think it can be so daunting in some ways to, for example, look at an entire conversation and think we'll have to choreograph it all and have the right things to say the whole time. But I really like that sentiment and I think it comes back to pretty much exactly what we mentioned at the start in terms of if we can come from a good place, be non-judgmental, not looking to blame the person, but just encourage those help-seeking behaviours, whether it's with a friend, whether it's with family, as you say, Dad, your GP, another mental health professional. It's something that we've mentioned on the podcast before that it's a life skill to seek help and it's a life skill to put yourself in a vulnerable position like that. So I think it's important to remember as well that no one's necessarily going to have mastered the skill straight away, but hopefully with what we've spoken about today, at least there's a few things that people can go on with and feel that they have the confidence to offer support to someone. Yes, and I think it's really helpful that we're really redefining what it means to be strong. And because it used to mean being, for men often the implication was being stoic, not showing your feelings too much, being impervious to any stress when often it's more like being like bamboo. Being able to accept one's vulnerability and take steps to address a situation makes a difference. But fortunately these days there's a lot less stigma and that's part of what we're on about, helping that go further, that there doesn't need to be shame in seeking help. Well, Dad, thanks for chatting with me about all this today. It's been good to chat about it all and I feel a bit more armed and ready to, if I was in this situation where I felt that someone may need a little bit of help, I feel I'd be a little bit more confident to proceed with that now. So thank you. Yes, and thank you again to the suggestion from those listeners who suggested we bring up this topic today and look forward to seeing you next time, Rowan. Absolutely. And Dad, we'll put up all of the resources for today on the podcast page on the chrismackey.com.au slash podcast website. And I will just mention as well, Dad, you did a Facebook Live with Angie Hilton from Destination Happiness, which had a whole range of practical tips for particularly if young people are suicidal. So we recognise that that's a situation where it's very difficult to know exactly what to do at those times. So we'll put up a link to that video that contains a whole range of practical tips for, for how to deal with someone in that specific situation. But, Dad, I will also just mention as well, for everyone out there, if you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll also be launching our email list soon. So stay tuned to the podcast page. We'll have a sign-up form on there, and that'll just make it easier to get everything from the podcast straight into your inbox. So we'll have snippets, we'll have resources, we'll obviously have the, a link to the episode there and potentially a bit of bonus content and stuff too so stay tuned to the podcast page and thanks for chatting with me again today dad 
I've enjoyed it again, and I look forward to the next one. Look forward to the next one, Rowan.